HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Visit Ithaca, home of New York's craft cider. I love New York. Plan your getaway at visitithaca.com. Daily provisions from Union Square Hospitality Group is the kind of neighborhood spot that everyone welcomes. It is true all-day dining, from the classic bacon, egg, and cheese in the morning to the roasted chicken in the afternoon. You don't pass on the addicting sweets like cookies and crullers. But even with the muscle from a seasoned team at Union Square, there can be unforeseen startup challenges. So here today, we welcome executive chef and a friend of Tillett for a long time, Amanda Wilson, to the show, as well as Jessamyn Waldman Rodriguez, who's the managing director of Daily Provisions. We're so excited to have you both here. We've um, obviously been fans since you guys opened the first 19th Street location, which seems like many, many moons ago. Thanks, guys. Happy to be here. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. So tell our listeners who may not be as familiar with Daily Provisions um, a little bit about the concept and and where you guys are now. Sure. Um, So I have been with Daily Provisions now for about two and a half years, Um, but I got, I was, I consider myself pretty lucky that I was around for the roots of the opening. So I I started... um, Basically, when Union Square Cafe relocated to their uh, current 19th Street location, I uh, I was on that opening team as the chef de cuisine. Um, and while we were opening and menu developing for that, uh, we were also menu developing for daily provisions. And so I got to kind of play a little bit around with that opening menu Um and really what it was, was this, you know, Danny likes to call it like a gift to the neighborhood. He wanted something that was missing from that 19th Street corner or, uh, you know, that Union Square area. And I think his first thoughts were, you know, bread and uh, breakfast, coffee, great coffee. And yeah. it kind of was born um, just because Union Square uh, cafe had this little kind of tiny, and if you've ever been to the 19th street location, you know, it is quite small, uh, this little tiny like corner, uh, or like side, side entrance. So that's kind of how it all started. Yeah. Like Amanda was saying, you know, when Danny moved, uh, Union Square Cafe into Gramercy, uh, he saw, a, a moment of opportunity as a resident there, he, we had this little, you know, very small 400 square foot 
uh, of space up front. And he really asked himself what the neighborhood needed. And so developed, um, you know, a, a beautiful little bakery, but also wanted to have great sandwiches and breakfast sandwiches and bread all made fresh. And it's really, you know, his bar to Chef Amanda and to myself is, uh, if it's on our menu, it has to be what you would expect done better than you would ever expect it. So we have a really uh, high bar, but the, uh, the, the, the results, I think, have been since 19th Street opened um, in February 2017 have really thrilled uh, our, our neighbors. I, I mean, it's delicious, and, um, and I think it only gets better over time. Yeah. So it's definitely, I mean, the original location is definitely like a little shoebox. And I remember, um, Amanda, from when you guys started, you were sharing the kitchen at Union Square Cafe. So I'm curious, and now you guys have four locations. So I'm curious, were, was the plan always to expand or did it really just speak to the neighborhood and the neighborhood response, um, like warrant the expansion? You know, I don't think from my standpoint, no, like it was never, we never were thinking when we were creating an opening that this was something we wanted to expand. Um, I think, you know, I remember that opening day of, of, I think it was in February and it was super fun and easy, (laughs) like easy in a sense, granted, you know, I was over on the other side at Union Square Cafe, but it was, uh, we just opened the, they just opened the doors and and kind of wanted to see what would happen. And there was, I guess, not a lot of expectation about how the neighborhood would react uh, and what menu items would really take off. But uh, it was pretty quick to realize that there was something really special um, and, and something that, you know, to its name, that we were finding that people were coming back like two or three times a day sometimes, or at least two or three times a day. Oh yeah. Like someone would come in and grab a coffee before work. Then they come in and get like a lunch sandwich and then pick up a chicken like to bring home for dinner. And 19th street definitely had those regulars. And then, you know, and then also the regulars who just came in every once a day, you know, for their coffee or their bacon, egg and cheese. Um, so we were, it was, I don't think it was very long for the people involved to realize like, huh, we're, we're kind of onto something like this is something that people, it's really familiar food. It's always going to be really hot, you know, hospitality focused and something where you feel really good coming in. Um, and this was starting to become uh, a lot of people's like local, you know, local place. And that's when probably my guess is, you know, okay, where's the next neighborhood we could do this in? And that's when West Village uh, was found. Um, And that was um, pretty somewhat early on. Uh, And then as I think some of us know, uh, that project took a while to open and we just opened this year. But it was uh, the West Village was the second location that was like that was uh, supposed to be open when we realized we wanted to expand. Uh, I feel like the West Village has more already sort of in that vein did you did you feel like that neighborhood was as um as wanting as as Gramercy East was or as deprived of crewlers sorry right how do you really (laughs) twist the concept to fit the neighborhood as obviously we all know in in New York neighborhoods and and the people in them change quite uh significantly even though you're only a few blocks away 
Yeah, I mean, I, West Village has similar characteristics, you know, like a really strong neighborhood feel. Now that we're open there, you know, our general manager has a, within a few weeks, had developed a whole, you know, team of uh, advocates, regulars, people who live on the block, who walk their dogs, who just, you know, have been eagerly awaiting us coming there. Um, and then similarly, it, while a neighborhood, there are offices nearby, and so there's subway traffic. So I think it was a really strong instinct for number two, which ended up being number three, because somewhere, <laughs> somewhere in there, um, the opportunity came up for a beautiful location on the Upper West Side. And, you know, the Upper West Side was a little bit different because it was, you know, it was uptown. Uh, Union Square Hospitality Group doesn't have that much, um, you know, above 23rd, plenty, but, you know, not that much. And so it was uptown, really neighborhood focused, um, lots of families and it's a beautiful space. It's a little bit bigger. Uh, the West Village location has kind of the like cavey womb feeling that 19th Street has. Um, and the Upper West Side is brighter and has, you know, more more windows and a bigger dining area. And so in, in the process um, <clears throat> of thinking about what the uh, West Village could be, that we made the decision to proceed with getting the Upper West Side open. And it was a much less complicated build uh, as we were able to get it open. And that one opened uh, five months before we closed for COVID. And so we got a little taste of what it could be. And we're really getting excited about the traction in the neighborhood and, um, you know, what what, uh, I think none of us knew whether Gramercy... Union Square location was an anomaly, whether those were, you know, Danny was just responding to the needs of his neighbors in Gramercy or whether there was something bigger that Daily Provision solved for consumers. Um, and so when we opened in October of 2019, uh, you know, we were immediately uh, vindicated by a very hungry and very enthusiastic uh, set of uh, regulars on the Upper West Side as well. We got it open. Um, Amanda was actually playing the role of general manager and chef for Daily Provision. So she was really integral in the opening of the Upper West Side location. Uh, and we watched it uh, thrive for a few months and then and then we closed it, unfortunately. But it's back open now. So now we have, you have four open locations, but I, I want to, I want our listeners to understand a little bit about what happened, like what happened with West village. Why, why was that build out so challenging? I think people learn a lot from, from all the challenges. Oh my goodness. I mean, you know, how I, long is the list? I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I don't even, I mean, we only have an hour. So I have to go through everything. And I, I would say that it is a litany of, uh, factors that have to do with uh, the the timing. So obviously getting a pandemic in the middle of it delayed us considerably. It was like a, you know, a biblical list of 
plagues that we were affected by there. But then there was a lot of building related, permit related. It's a landmark building. It's an active community board. Um, you know, a landlord that hadn't invested considerably in the property. There, there was a lot there. Then we have learned a lot. Um, you know, I've learned a lot kind of uh, getting managing that project through to open in, I think, how to do um, more stringent due diligence at the outset on our uh, real estate opportunities. Um, and yeah, and just like, you know, needing to hope, pray and dream uh, for more luck, because I think ultimately it's just a, bad, a lot of bad luck on that location. But, you know, Danny is a fearless leader and he knew that the space was going to be beautiful and kept us on course and kept us inspired with the vision of what the West Village could be. And we're really um, happy now, not even a week into full operations. We're really happy with, you know, that, that we waited on it because it is, I keep calling it the Taj Mahal of daily provisions. <laughs> it's a gorgeous, gorgeous space. That's, Going going back, would you are there things that you would look at or that you would not do or, or would not approach as far as like future re, uh, retail opportunities? Or would you not touch a landmark building? Would you? How would you? You know, further that due diligence we talked about. I mean, I think it's always you know, and I should say I wasn't involved. I I came, when I I joined Daily Provisions once this process was. Uh, already rolling. So I wasn't involved in the diligence on that deal. Um, there is not one thing that would have made me at the outset pull out from it. There's some complications on the deal structure because it is a co-op building and it's a sublet unit to the co-op board. So I think that that's a complicated relationship and so that would be something that I think I would be mindful of and make sure that you had enough um, clarity in the lease to know what the levers were when there were holdups and other pieces. So that was one piece of complexity. Um, you know, we're, 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 as we think about other locations, I think bringing in engineers and other external vendors to vet uh infrastructure of the building before the lease is signed i think is always a good decision and perhaps on this there could have been a little bit more of that at the outset you know that said like real estate is a game of of like art and science right yeah <laughs> picking good locations especially for something like daily provision which is so tied to um neighborhood uh, the location understandably is one in which they fell in love, like the, the location, the, the aesthetic of the building, there's, there's just like this deep love for that location and all of the, you know, modeling engineer reports and legal wrangling aside, if, you know, especially, uh, an experienced entrepreneur, like, Danny knows that location, location, location is everything. And, and sometimes instinct um, supersedes the best laid plans, if that makes sense. So I can't say that had I been there, it would have been a different outcome because I think the space is really beautiful and perfect for daily provisions. I think moving forward, it's like, you know, 
my job before we fall in love with it to make sure that the the bones are good and the the all of the details are are worked out. I mean, I think that's yeah, a really really great point, and it's true. It's like sometimes it's like you just your gut speaks to you with a piece of real estate. It's also New York, and you don't always have like months and months to be diligent. There's probably somebody <laughs> knocking on the door right behind you that says, yeah. I'll take it and I'll do it. Yeah. I'll, I'll take the space. Yeah. I'll take it as is. And you're like, okay. <laughs> uh, so as you all have opened for, and as you know, this is definitely as sort of like you, you talk so much about the, the neighborhood and the real estate and it's such a real estate play. Are there, have you guys sort of come up with a formula of like when we're looking, it sounds like you're already thinking of expanding even further. And is there like a formula where you're like, this is what we need to make this neighborhood cafe concept really work. And this is what we're looking for. I want to say a formula with each location that we have opened, we have learned new things about what works well from, you know, a size, right? When we opened Manhattan West, which was our most recent opening last week, uh, sort of, I mean, Bedford technically didn't open until Thursday. Anyway, they both <laughs> opened last week. Um, it's a much bigger location in a primarily, um, it's in Manhattan West between Moynihan Station and Hudson Yards. It's a very, um, there's a lot of offices. It's a, it's a considerably bigger space with a, a bigger kitchen. And we're learning a lot, you know, that, that that's a, a, a different footprint and we're excited to see how that goes. So I don't think... Um, we are at the point and I don't know that we will ever get to the point where there is like, you know, a, a, a clear, um, like you say, formula about the things that we that go into the model. But I think we are getting a little bit better at knowing, um, you know, what the infrastructure needs. Amanda has done really good work on you know, helping to streamline the equipment list in the kitchen. And uh, we know a lot more about the flow of food. <laughs> and listen, post-COVID, our business model has changed, right? We've gone to a place where 50% of our business is third-party deliveries. So wow. we're building in different real estate, you know, or at Manhattan West, we were able to change the plans to accommodate uh, couriers and pick up orders in a, in a different way. Not a formula yet, but a lot of really good learning. I even think about that. You think about, you know, in our neighborhood, if one of your, your related properties is Shake Stack, it's a swarm of delivery third party delivery guys out front. So like incorporating that into future model really does make sense to keep the, the, the vibe of the customer coming in once that, that gets back in full swing. It's, that's really smart. Do you all foresee that staying that 50% of the business will be, will be takeout from now on? Or do you think that's something that's going to down taper? It's just like, who the hell knows? What do you think, Amanda? Um, <laughs> yeah. Who the hell knows? No, I mean, I think, I think it's definitely here to stay in a way, in a way it wasn't before. Um, no matter what kind of happens going further, I think people just jet like human nature, like, like simplicity, like ease. Um, so, you know, not only are we seeing a huge increase in like third party delivery, we also launched, you know, pre-order pickup through our own website post COVID. And we're seeing, you know, uh, 19th Street, especially when we open, it was it's pretty much known for long lines. And we do a really good job, I think, getting that food out and, you know, the coffee out as fast as we can. But 
really what we try to do now is let guests know, especially the ones who are, you know, on like grabbing a coffee on their way to work or a meeting that you can pre-order um, on our website and it'll be ready for you. And you just walk in the door, grab your bag and go. So that's something that we definitely didn't think that much about pre-COVID that I think it's definitely here to stay. And it actually does streamline operations a lot. Like it's nice to know what's coming in and give the kitchen and and the front of house a little bit more time to get that organized. And uh, and then the lines for the, the guests that do want to come in and sit and experience, you know, uh, daily provisions in that way, you know, hopefully don't have as crowded as a dining room anymore, can find a seat or get a little bit more touch points with, with our, you know, staff and have a good experience. So I think, I think the ordering online is definitely here to stay. Is there an app in your future? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> We're not, not there yet. No. <laughs> not, not yet. You're like, maybe in the future, but not the foreseeable future. We're still debating a, a coffee punch card. I'm curious what if you guys would, are fans or not fans of the coffee punch card. <laughs> I'm a fan of the coffee punch card. I think it builds loyalty, but I don't think it's a make or break. Like, I don't go to a place because they have a coffee punch card, but I definitely appreciate one. How many do you have in your wallet? <laughs> None, because we have our own espresso machine to make our own coffee at home. Don't I get judge. coffee almost every day, and I, I have one in my wallet, and I go to the same coffee shop almost every day, and yeah. I almost never take it out and get a punch. Oh, no. <laughs> so there's some user feedback that you can try and figure out how that works. But, yeah, I think that's um, true, too. It's also I'm like... Loyalist either way. I think people are going to be loyalists one way or the other. I don't, I don't think you need the card. And, Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, we try to keep people loyal with just making the food really good. That's what, that's right. what keeps me loyal to places. I mean, I think it's like, like you guys talked about, it's a lot about location and convenience and it just being good and being a good experience where, you know, like both operationally and taste-wise, it's going to be good. I'm a huge good. fan of the pre-order. I'm not yeah. a line person, but I also want to go to the place that demands a line, right? <laughs> so it's like the balance somewhere in there. Um so I love that you're doing the pre-order. Yeah. I was just going to say again, back sort of back to the neighborhood mentality of it and very different neighborhoods. How I, we're fairly familiar with your your newest um, location neighborhood um, because we do, we make clothes. So we do a lot of work in the garment district, um, which has changed kind of dramatically through the pandemic with the closure of factories and, and, and things like that. And, and a lot of those offices have gone remote. How has that neighborhood sort of, you know, influenced what you're doing with, with the menu and that, that concept over the last two years? So the menu at Manhattan West is very similar. A couple of, you know, a couple of exceptions, but we're trying to, as much as possible, you know, tailor a couple of items per location, but really keep the menu to what people are expecting. Um, and right after COVID, we dug into this construction project. We're in a new build. Um, yeah, I love that you say it's in the garment district because it so doesn't feel like the garment district, but we are right there um, at like 32nd and, and 9th. It couldn't, couldn't be more um, really adjacent to the garment district, but it feels like, you know, shiny and beautiful. It's got a big plaza. It's a nice 
really nice place to sit outside. And when I started like last June, June of 2020, um, I had to start spending a lot of time there because we were in design and then early construction and we were, you know, building a facade and looking at details. And when we, we, when I started that, when I went back into that plaza last June, it, I, I just could never see a day where that neighborhood would support business. It was a complete de- desolate, isolated <laughs> zone over there. The new train station hadn't opened. Hudson Yards was empty. You know, most of the residents of that area were outside of New York last summer still from COVID. Um, None of the offices had any employees back there. That Whole Foods was, you know, a zombie land of Instacart shoppers and nobody else. (laughs) And I just could not see this business. I couldn't envision that business ever thriving. And a year later, a little over a year, it's, it's really busy. And I know it will get much, much more busy because those offices still aren't tenanted, but we're under, you know, a big luxury rental building, which is 95% occupied by young professionals. And, you know, there's Amazon and Skadden and um, Ernst and Young and all of these big companies. And while they're only at 10 or 20% occupied, they're like, you know, 90 story buildings, massive buildings. And so even a portion of the employees back is really feels like a thriving community during the day. And on the weekends, we're performing much better than expected. There are tourists coming back. The High Line um, will terminate um, by the end of hopefully next year, right onto the plaza we're on. But, you know, it's it ends there at Hudson Yards and people are starting to find us. And it it is feeling much more like a thriving neighborhood than I really feared it would last summer. You just gave us PTSD from COVID and then brought it back to like, give us hope. So I appreciate that. Very hopeful there. So much more than I worried it would be. And Amanda, on the food side, as you all scale, are you still, so it sounds like you're changing, it's like mostly a core menu, but you have different items per location that are special. How are, are you eventually going to do commissary? Are you still making everything at every location? How do you plan for that from, from a kitchen perspective? Yeah, it's been a huge learning curve <laughs> for sure. And these last two opened, you know, obviously the timing was a little crazy with them opening um, kind of on top of each other. So we definitely... You know, I, I want to say that we have no, there's, we're not, I'm not a hundred percent sure where the menu's going to go in the future. Like we know we have these amazing core items that, you know, we've learned that are not going to go anywhere, like our egg sandwiches and the cruller, um, because they're delicious and people love them. Um, you know, I think we're still learning a lot. We learned a lot post COVID about what people want to eat, how people want to eat. So um, right now, pretty much all four locations menus are, are pretty similar um, to Jessamine's point. Like there's small things missing from a couple menus as we learn how to do production across four stores. Um, but we're working on on really mirroring all the all the menus. And then each location may have, you know, we're, we're starting out kind of small and saying like on every open we want 
we want each store to have it like a special crawler flavor. So we opened uh, the Manhattan West location with like a strawberry New York cheesecake, which was delicious. Um, Bedford now is running, uh, the West Village is now running like an afternoon. This is our first uh, dive into a savory crawler. We're doing like a Castro Pepe afternoon happy hour crawler. So like trying to definitely do some fun new stuff at the new locations. And and I'd love to see is like the menu grows and we, um, you know, and, and to get those kind of location specific menu items potentially. But uh, something I've really learned working at Daily Provisions the last few years, it's like it's really people really do go there for what they know and what they want. And so we used to change when I first started, I basically like overhauled a ton of the menu items. Uh, like we used to do big kind of switches for seasons, like um, kind of like a traditional, you know, Union Square Cafe or Gramercy or Tavern type restaurant. And what I was learning was like, oh, people just really want like that sandwich that they love and it their go-to. And so we're kind of learning that in daily provisions, it's fun to kind of do like these limited specials. And if something really inspires me or the kitchen, you know, we, we love to do those when we can, but to not really take things away from people. So I definitely think for the future of daily provisions, we're going to stick with stick with the favorites and kind of keep learning about what else people, what we're missing and what else people are craving. Kind of give the people what they want or else exactly. you'll have a cooler yes. mutiny. Exactly. Um, yeah. People don't like things taken away <laughs> once, they, <laughs> once, once they learn they love them. So we're, we're trying to do as little of that as possible, you know? Well, especially also when you're a neighborhood spot, which you have certainly become, it sounds like. This episode is brought to you by Visit Ithaca, helping you to plan your next getaway. Ithaca has waterfalls and wineries, art and theater, outdoor recreation, and family fun. The area is famous for its glacier-carved gorges, co-op-run businesses, and cultural influences from Cornell University and Ithaca College. Plus, you can't beat the beauty of Cayuga Lake, the largest of the Finger Lakes. Beyond 150 waterfalls and some of the region's best hiking trails, Ithaca is cider. The area is well known for its local cideries, which are leading the way in America's cider revival. You can hear from the region's cider makers directly on HRN series Hardcore. There's something really special about Ithaca's climate for cultivating delicious apples steeped in history and terroir. Let Visit Ithaca help you plan your next trip to this hub of food, drink, culture, and agritourism. Home of New York's craft cider, I love New York. Get started at visitithaca.com. Um, should we go into lightning round? Sure. Um, you guys can each answer this. Uh, favorite menu item in any of your store sizes? Uh, mine's the bacon, egg, and cheese. Hands down. <laughs> Um, I'm going to go with broccoli melt. Oh, broccoli melt. What about the most ordered menu item? Mm. Um, uh, bacon, egg, and cheese. Bacon, egg, and cheese. I was like, I think, yeah, combined with the three crawler flavors, like, um, that's close. It's a close second, but you know, uh, those crawlers, we, 
and everybody knows that comes to us. Like we don't have them all, you know, we don't have them always throughout breakfast. We're trying, but it's a, it's a big labor. It's a lot of labor to make those donuts. So, uh, we're, we're working very hard to figure out how to make more, but bacon, egg and cheese still wins because we have limited amounts of crawlers. So close second. Oh, on that donut. Is bacon, egg and cheese go past breakfast? Uh, for right now, we cut it off at two. So we have our breakfast menu from eight to two. And breakfast does better than lunch. Uh, no. Uh, just the uh, volume wise, just that one sandwich. We, I'm not sure what our current record is, but like on a really busy <laughs> Saturday on like our 19th street, we can, we can easily do about like 450 bacon, egg and cheese. Your record is like... Your lead cook's like nightmare. Uh, uh-huh. right? <laughs> four hundred and fifty b and we we get up in the four hundreds on like a really busy Saturday, and we only yeah, wow. and we offer it from eight to two. So holy moly, what? And now are you? Because I remember when you first started, it was you were closed. Are you? How late are you open now? Is it going until eight o'clock? Are you doing dinner yep. and everything? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're still we're open till eight. Till yeah. Eight. Mm-hmm. All right, next one is, what is the best food cost item? Ooh. <laughs> um, food cost, probably, I got it off the top of my head, maybe, it's got to be like the, you know what, it might be, it's, it's something in the bakery realm, maybe, maybe the cookies. Okay. That makes sense. Maybe yeah. the, maybe the egg the, and cheese. The, maybe the yeah, egg and cheese. cheese, yeah. Blueberry loaf. Um, yeah. Baked goods. Always good food costs. Baked goods, yeah. But butter is expensive, so you never know. I don't know. Well, your Chocolate, too, the labor. Yeah. 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 Well, for that's what I was like, you tripped me up on because for pure food costs, it's, uh, you know, the cruller actually is a good food cost, but the labor kills us. So it's, it's, it's tough. Um, another one that we like to ask everybody, what's the best business resource both of you have have used in your careers? It could be a person, a book, um, a podcast. Well, a book that I love is um, Zeynep Tong's uh, Good Job Strategy, which is a business book around, I mean, really, it's how to build good business and treat people well so it's it's a really I love it and it's a it's a book I uh I I it's the it's the gold it's the north star of where I hope we can go with daily provisions it describes kind of um you know a few businesses like Trader Joe's and Aldi um as case studies and how efficiency and small number of SKUs uh have kind of created the margin and the brand stickiness with guests to um, be able to invest more in, in talent. So I'd like, I love that. I love that idea. None of the case studies are restaurants. So <laughs> understandably it's, it's, it's hard. So that's a book I love. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't know how you feel, Amanda, but, you know, working for Danny, um, he is always our best business resource and just always brings optimism and insight into any, um, anything I'm grappling with regarding daily provisions. Yeah, I would a hundred percent agree with that. I also just have to say like for, you know, people wise, like I, 
I really grew up at, uh, as a chef at Union Square Cafe and really Daily Provisions was born out of that restaurant. Uh, the old chef there, Carmen, um, who really mentored me pretty much number one rule of all time was like, it doesn't matter. It just has to taste good. And that's basically <laughs> daily, like what we talk about constantly at, at daily provisions. Like we definitely have a lot of challenges and, and things that we have to think about differently with, with scaling and opening, but it just always has to taste good. So <laughs> he's, he's always my, my <laughs> guiding light on that one. Your North star. My North star. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Last one. Fantasy location for the next daily provisions. Not a landmark building. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to say Austin, just because that's where my family is. Easy one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, if we're going there, I'm from. Yeah. Toronto. I mean, fan, anywhere you want. Yeah. Fantasy. <laughs> so, so I'm going to go ahead and say somewhere in Toronto, but I'm going to then say Austin and Toronto are not on any. <laughs> don't call either yet. Don't okay. call me. Don't tweet me. Don't <laughs> Instagram me. Um, yeah. I th- but those would be great places. Also, it would be nice to have something in Puerto Rico or Hawaii would also be high on, <laughs> high on our lists. But it's not exactly beach body food. So <laughs> better like Canadian winter food. You just need like a little avocado on your bacon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Very good. Awesome. Um, we always like to shout out recent openings. I know. So Daily Provisions had two recent openings. You want to tell everybody exactly where they can find you and shout out any other friends who maybe opened recently. Amazing. Uh, yes, please come and see us at 29 Bedford in the West Village in Lower Manhattan um, or uh, 90 Manhattan West Plaza, which is behind Moynihan Station between Hudson Yards, uh, 10th Avenue and 33rd is a great um, pin for that to drop on. And we would love to see you there. Lots of fun activities with the openings. Cool. Do you have any opening scenes? No? Okay. Um, and then where do we find you on the social? Oh, I am, uh, what am I, at a Wil- Chef A. Wilson on Instagram. And we're at Daily Prov. Cool. Uh, and you can find us at We Are Opening Soon and at Tilla NYC. Thanks, guys, for joining us. Thank you, Bob. Thank, Thank you, Bob. You both. Opening Soon is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org, and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You could also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place, and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.